Well, this morning we're going to wrap up our series in First Peter. So if you have a Bible, uh, welcome to open up to First Peter chapter 5, right near the end, just the last couple of verses. And even though this is the, the last, kind of the last word in, in this setting, the last time that we'll, we'll preach through this book, probably for a while, try not to repeat myself too often, I, I hope and trust that this isn't the end of First Peter for you. Because we spent uh, quite a while here, several months, walking through this letter, hopefully not too slow, but also not too fast. And, and, and I hope and trust that the principles that, that Peter wrote about and that, the, that Jesus is trying to get into our hearts kind of live with you and, and keep informing the way you live going forward. Uh, one thing that I hope I've been able to do in this letter, and, and is always kind of uh, one of the challenges of, of being in the front and, and speaking, is, is that I hope that we have learned more just our need for complete reliance on Jesus. The, the, the pitfall, if you will, of, of a, a letter like this where it's, it's an instructional letter, right? Peter is writing to these churches to encourage them, to inform them and say, here's some things that are true of you. Now live out this way. And it's really easy to just say, okay, so in chapter one, Peter gave us this to-do list. Then chapter two, he gave us this other to-do list. In chapter three, he started to talk about like relationships and he got into politics. <clears throat> we'll skip that one, but there's a to-do list there. And chapter four, right? that's right. And so if you haven't heard me say this, I want you to hear today, you cannot do all the to-do lists in First Peter 5, uh, in First Peter, or First Peter 5. And that's the point. That's Peter's point. It's all done. All the things that we are called to, all the things that, that we are to live out of, it's been done by Jesus. Jesus has done everything to overcome pain and suffering and disappointment and discouragement and the sin that separates us from our loving, heavenly, holy Father. So remember, you are chosen and you are adopted into this family. You have an inheritance. You've been given a new name. It's done by him. It's not, it's not about you. It's not about me. Now, all of that is true. We, we can overcome suffering. We can overcome discouragement. Jesus has done the work to reconcile us to himself and to God. And yet, in this world, we will still have trouble. Both of these things can be true. They are true. We, we know it to be true, I think, right? Just because sin has been ultimately defeated by Jesus on the cross, that does not mean it's not still present in the world. And I'm not going to spend any more time convincing you of that. We live in a world that doesn't operate as it's supposed to. It's broken. Our, our families don't function perfectly. Our hearts, both are like, like the physical muscles. They don't always last the way they're supposed to. But our, our hearts being like the core of who we are, our spirits, our soul, depending on the language you want to use, they don't function perfectly. Uh, leadership, authority, government doesn't function perfectly. And this may come as a surprise, but churches even don't function perfectly. Everything and everyone has been marked by sin, and there's no escaping it in this life. Yet God has chosen us, and he has chosen that we're still here, that we're still living in this world the way it is. And it's, it's not a mistake. It's not a, not a scheduling mix-up, as though as soon as we had turned to Jesus, we should have been transported like Star Trek up to be with him. 
It's not a, a flawed plan. This is the plan. The church is God's plan. God has meant for us to live at this time, in this place, and I, I believe even to have all been at 1717 Bow Valley Trail at 1123 on this Sunday together. He wants us to be a testimony. He wants our lives to be an evidence and an example of his transforming grace. We've been uh, running Freedom Session here at Trinity for the last few weeks. I think this week will be week six, so approximately six weeks. Uh, and for last week, as part of our homework, we split into our small groups and we had to share our story. And they gave us some instruction of how to start writing your story. And they said, start here. I was born, dot, dot, dot. And they said, go through your life and share that. All the things, like the, the highlights, the lowlights, the reason that we're, we're following Jesus, the reason that we recognize we're sinful, all the things. And I had this opportunity to look back at my life and just see how far God has brought me in the last 20, 25 years. I know he was working before that, but especially in this window, right? There's still lots of room to grow. I have not arrived. Don't hear me say that but there's evidence of his transforming work in my life. And he's been so good, even when I didn't realize he was at work. And he's been so patient. And he's been so gracious and so patient. And he's been so kind and loving and so, so patient. We're called to be his evidence Another reason we won't escape suffering is that God actually calls us to suffering. One writer says he, he will actually cause you or call you to suffer because God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. I don't know about any of you, but does anyone run towards hardship and suffering? No, right? Sometimes, maybe once or twice, not, not too often. God knows that we tend towards independence and, and self-reliance uh, and, and self-righteousness. And so there are times where he actually has to take us past the end of ourselves, beyond our strength, beyond our wisdom, beyond our own right thinking, so that we can start to find our hope in him and him alone. And he wants to take us to the place where we come face to face with the reality that we cannot do life on our own. Because we were never meant to do life on our own. We were meant to live in total dependence on God. There's another reason that suffering and difficulty will come our way. It's because we stand for this radical truth of the gospel. Because we claim allegiance to Jesus as Lord and Savior and leader and rescuer. And because we, we do that, because we have turned from kind of the way of this world and turned towards the way of Jesus, because we live according to his command, because we live according to his principles, that we strive to live by his wisdom, we will be misunderstood. We will face mocking. We will face rejection and opposition. And we will, like Peter opened the letter up, we will feel like strangers and aliens in this world. See, if we follow Jesus, it's, it's no longer about, as, as one writer put it, the claustrophobic kingdom of one. 
where it's all about my desires and my needs and my feelings and my wants and I'm going to get what I deserve and all the things. It's, it's, not about, it's not about me. But instead, we're invited into the grand kingdom and purposes of the creator of the universe. And that's ultimately the message of First Peter in a nutshell. We're living in a world where, where trouble is always at the door. Yet in the midst of trouble, the letter brings just beautiful comfort. Peter, Peter is not just some uh, academic that is just kind of sending off letters of, of wisdom and doesn't want to get his feet dirty or hands dirty with the people, but he's, he's a good pastor to these churches. He knows them. He loves them. He cares for them. And so he sends this letter and says, when you hit hard times, the worst thing you can do is focus on the hard time. Is that anyone else's tendency? That's mine, right? If things get hard, it's like I stare at that and all the goodness of God. Did we sing that song yet? Or is that the one right after? Shoot. All the goodness of God that we'll sing about in a few minutes kind of gets blocked out because I'm just stuck on this hard moment right now, whether that's family or work or finances or whatever it might be, right? The worst thing we can do is just keep playing the victim card over and over and over and over. So Peter points us to this beautiful, amazing, grace-filled kingdom that we're invited to be a part of when we come to Jesus. Something that's so much better than anything I could imagine for myself. And it's something that makes us say, you know what, if, if I could just play a small role, if I could just, just be a bit actor in this kingdom thing that God is doing, that's enough. That would be, that would be just amazing. Well, with that, let me read the last few verses of the letter for us. First Peter 5, picking up at verse 12. He writes this, Through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Just a couple of, of practical notes uh, on the people named here. Uh, Silvanus, or you might have a footnote or a translation that says Silas, was probably the one who delivered Peter's letter for him. This one, maybe others as well. He might have been a, a scribe, so Peter kind of dictated the letter. This guy wrote it and then took and delivered it. But clearly he was important to Peter. Faithful brother. Someone who encouraged him, I'm sure. Mark is, is Peter's protege. He's likely the author of the Gospel of Mark. And Peter calls him a son in the ministry. Another like important person to Peter. And when he says, she who is at Babylon, likely that's referring to the church in Rome or other believers who are in Rome. Babylon's kind of code name for the empire of the day of Rome in the New Testament. So that's just you know, some notes if you're interested in those things. But as Peter closes, he wants to remind his hearers and leave his hearers with really, again, just a, a, a reminder of the three overarching principles and themes of the letter, and they're beautiful. And the first, he says this, I've, I've written to you briefly to encourage you and to tell you again, to remind you again that this is the true grace of God, that this is it. Lean into it. What Peter's been trying to say throughout is that because of Jesus, 
You and I are the objects of God's awesome grace of redemption. Our reason for everything is God's grace. The reason we can hope is because of God's grace. And what I love about 1 Peter is that he reminds us that, that this grace is for right now. Again, I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, I tend to think, okay, I, I was shown grace when I first kind of gave my life to Jesus. Or when I prayed and, and, and prayed for forgiveness, I realized I got forgiveness. But okay, so I had grace in the past. And I believe, at least in my head, and I understand from the scripture that at some point when this life is over for me, I'm going to go and stand in front of Jesus and have eternal life with him. And so there's, there's grace coming there. But sometimes I forget about the right now grace, the in-between grace, the here and now. And Peter wants us to, to know that. There's grace for every situation. There's, there's grace for every question and worry and doubt that we have. There's grace for every struggle. There's grace for every circumstance. Now, Lord, I pray that we believe that. There's grace for our hard relationships, the people that, that we know we should probably try to at least get along with, but really don't want to. You know, you've heard of those, of course. There's grace for when things aren't going well at work or at home or at school. There's grace when that sin that you just can't seem to shake, that you've confessed and repented of, you forget how many times, but it seems to crop up in you again. And as you, you are struggling with that sin again, that little voice in the back of your head says, where's your God now? That little voice that says, ha, you did it again. How could you possibly think God loves you? There's grace in that. There's grace for that. One writer notes as, as he goes through the whole book, he says, if you run through 1 Peter, there's grace everywhere. In chapter 1, it's the uncomfortable grace of sanctification, of, of going through struggle and hard times to be made holy. In chapter 2, there's the grace of the new identity in Christ that we're now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a, a people for God's own possession, which is still crazy to me to think about. In chapter 3, there's grace for daily living in the, the mundane, almost boring, monotonous experiences of everyday life that, that every one of us live out. There's grace for irritation and impatience and struggle. In chapter 4, we see the awesome grace for suffering those moments and, and realize that we're never alone. There is not any circumstance, any relationship, any situation that the Lord, the Savior, the King of grace is with you in. And in chapter 5, he turns to the church and God has graced the church with leadership that guides us and protects us and warns us and encourages us. And I'm going to add in here, please pray for that leadership as well. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. But every page of this letter is dripping with grace. In light of what Jesus has already done, there's grace. The second theme Peter encourages them towards. Look how it's expressed in verse 14. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, did anyone get kissed on the way in? You almost got it, Ryan. Almost. I was like, here's the text coming. I haven't seen this guy in a long time. I'm just going to plant one on him. Uh, for, maybe. Anyways, uh, life is hard, right? We all, we all know that. 
of all the things we just talked about needing and receiving grace for, they're all hard. So when we gather, we should have this, this, this uh, love and sensitivity towards one another, recognizing that every single one of us is going through something, probably a few somethings. We're all struggling. None of us have it all together. And if you think you have it all together, let's have a chat. And I will remind you that you don't have it all together. There's still something, right? So when you come in, grab someone, welcome them, and tell them you're glad to see them. Maybe greet them with a fist bump of love, or a high five, or a hug, or, again, the kiss of love thing that's maybe not Canadian, but, uh, no, it's in the Bible, so I have to do some work with that, I guess. Now, if, if this is your home church, give me a minute of your time. If you're visiting, again, love to have you here. Uh, you can, I won't say tune out, but you can, this is for us. Something tends to happen when you've attended the same church for a while. You, you hopefully get plugged in. You, you made a few relationships, have a few friends. And so if you've been here my length, six years or so or longer, maybe that's where we'll set the kind of arbitrary line. Once you've found those connecting points, what can happen is those are the only places you connect on a Sunday. You come to church and say, I hope these three families are here because it would be great to catch up with them. And we neglect everybody else. And yet we come and we think, well, of course we're a, we're a friendly church because I was friendly to this family and this family and this family. Just like last week, I was friendly with these same three people and the week before and before and before. And so we assume we're friendly, but we may not actually be welcoming. And there's a difference. And so, again, if this is your home, if your home church is elsewhere, apply it there. It still works. You need to be sure that we are welcoming and connecting and creating an environment that, that, that welcomes everybody through the door. And listen, this is a growth area for me. I can have the excuse of being an introvert. I can use that, but it is just that it's an excuse. Let me uh, suggest that at Trinity, somebody sitting alone is a problem. Maybe they want to be alone, but they should at least be greeted before they're sitting alone. And I, you're in the band, so you're, you're okay, I think, this morning, right? We high-fived on the way in. The point is that we, we need one another. It doesn't have to look like the holy kiss of love, but we need one another. I've heard uh, Tim Keller say and write and tweet uh, many times, even though the quote might predate him, I wasn't sure where it started necessarily, but he said, the church is not a museum for pristine saints, but a hospital ward for broken sinners. And let me say, when you walk through the door, that's what we assume. The broken sinner part, hopefully. We show up every Sunday as people who don't have it all together. As people who have been, who have been beaten up, who've had a rough week, who maybe we just limp and stumble in by God's grace, not totally sure why we're here even, but we find hope in Jesus and in his church. We need one another, and we need each other to carry one another's burdens. And so every time we gather, every Sunday that we gather, we have this opportunity to love one another. 
Again, Paul Tripp, kind of giving a big overview of the book, says in chapter 1, we, we, we read about love in times of suffering. And Peter talks about the, the uncomfortable grace of being molded in this way, but then he says, uh, love one another deeply from the heart. In chapter 2, we're called to live in a loving response to authority. In chapter 3, to love in the practical, everyday relationships of life. In chapter 4, we're called to love in the face of rejection and opposition. And in chapter 5, again, we see the, the need and the provision of loving leadership in the church and the love and leadership of our Lord Jesus Christ. One thing that we've tried to do regularly with our social media posts as a church is at least kind of once a week, if not it pops up one or two times a week, call one another to pray for someone or thank someone or acknowledge someone or encourage someone. And so let me challenge you this morning and then into this week to love someone, to care for someone, to reach out. It doesn't have to be much. I'm not asking you to add you know, a two-hour lunch every day of the week to, to show somebody love. Instead, just text them, hey, I, you know what? I appreciate you. How can I pray for you? It was uh, a couple of months ago, uh, a friend of mine was uh, kind of planning to go down to Mexico to do a bit of a mission trip for his, to celebrate his 41st birthday by building a house in Mexico for a family. And so he'd been doing some fundraising for that, and he'd fired me a couple of texts, and I dodged one or two of them. And, and it was just, there'd just been a while where, where, where he, he'd reached out, and I hadn't responded to the voicemail or what, for whatever reason. So I finally thought, Johnny, better, better call Jad. And so I call him up and get his voicemail. I was just like, hey, man, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, life's crazy. I, all the excuses. It doesn't, excuses don't matter. Great to hear from you. It'd be good to chat sometime. Let me encourage you. And he called me back like the next day, like almost tears in his eyes. Like you had no idea how much I needed somebody to just call and encourage me. It's like, man, Judd, that's usually your job to me. But it doesn't take much, right? Like a text. How can I be praying for you? The final theme, Peter's last words in verse 14. He says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Where do we find peace? Where's the only place that we will ultimately find peace? It's in Christ. It's in the gospel. Let me remind us, because we need to be reminded as well, that's why we gather, that the gospel, the good news, is that God created the world, everything, and created us to, to love and to serve and to enjoy him and to enjoy the world that he created. But humanity, right from the outset, turned away from God. We decided that our little pea-sized brains knew life better than the God who created the laws of physics and figured, well, we'll figure this out on ourselves and just go our own way. And we rejected God. The Bible calls this sin. And that means we've been separated from the one who created us to be with him. And everything in all of creation is marked and marred by this sin. But even though we walked away, God promised never to abandon us, even though that's his perfect right. But instead, he promised to rescue us. And to do so, we can watch the story unfold through what we call our Old Testament. He, he called out one, one family to know him and serve him and said, this family is going to be a great nation. I will make you into a great nation so that you can be an example to all nations of my goodness and my grace and my mercy 
And God made a, a binding personal covenant with that family. And he, he gave that family his law to guide their lives. And he, he instituted a, a, a system of offerings and sacrifices to deal with the sin in their lives and, the, and their failures. But human nature is so disordered and so sinful that even with all these privileges, even all these gifts from God, the people kept walking away. But then... Finally, God himself became flesh and entered the world of time and space and history. And he lived a perfect life. And then he went to the cross to die. And when he was raised from the dead, it was revealed and understood that he had come to fulfill that entire law with his perfect life. And that he gave his life to be that final once-for-all sacrifice, taking the curse, the, the consequences, and the punishment that, that my sin and your sin deserved and securing the promised blessing for us by his death and resurrection. And now everyone, everyone who believes in him is brought back and united with God despite our sins. And the power of God is at work in our hearts, transforming us back into the people we were created to be, to be in a loving relationship with the creator of the universe and with his creation and even with one another. And we're united into a new family and we've been given a new family name, the name of God himself. So we serve him and we serve one another as we wait and hope for Jesus to return and renew all creation and deal with and sweep away death and pain and suffering and sin once for all. That's where we find rest, in that story. And that's what Peter tells us in the letter. It's because of Jesus that we can have rest. Even when we're suffering, even when we're faced with hard things, even when we're not sure what's going on and what the next step is or, or how to get through the situation that we're in. The rest that's promised doesn't come because you or I are strong. doesn't become because you or I are wise. It's not because we've seized control of our lives and our circumstances. It's not because we're good or righteous or successful, but our rest is is found in the presence and power and person of Jesus Christ who has called us out and said, I want you to be my holy nation, my priesthood, my people. And that promise that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm going to fulfill it through you. Because of Jesus, we have this identity. We have this promise. We have this hope. And so we don't try to just get through this life, grabbing on and hanging on to everything we can, whatever we can. But instead, God himself has taken us by the hand and said, no, I've got a plan for you. And you're mine. And I will not let you go. And I won't lose you to difficulty. And I won't lose you to rejection. And I won't lose you to Satan or a broken world or a broken church. You are mine. That's the message of First Peter. So how do we live in a broken world? We stand firm in God's grace that Peter has testified to in this letter. We believe that there is grace for every single situation and struggle uh, and every going on in our heart. We celebrate that we've been called to a community of love and we strive to be a part of the growth of that community by, by walking with other people, by encouraging one another, by praying for one another. 
And we recognize that we've been given the gift of peace. We rest in God's peace and his sovereignty and his control and his wisdom. Let me pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to be together. Thank you for this letter. I know there's, there's, there's tons here, and, and we, could, we could walk through it again half a verse at a time and, and still continue to mine more out of it. But Jesus, let us go and take away that, that you have come to bring peace and hope in the midst of suffering and that you've called us into community, that you've rescued us from our sin and, and given us a new name, a new identity to so many of those things that we call ourselves, those names we call ourselves, those truths we speak over ourselves are false and broken that you have called us sons and daughters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.